What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby. And these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington. And I'm Barry Horn. Simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Ballsy Sports Day podcast. Sports Day DFW, Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington. I am Barry Horn. And joining us on the, on the line, our weekly Cowboys guest, the one, the only, David Moore. David, how are you? It is much breezier conversation without the third wheel <laughs> in the room. Or the fifth wheel, as we like to call him. <laughs> who, who, who are we talking about? That would be Evan Grant, who's who's out in surprise. Uh, you just like to say surprise. He? Yeah. He's having a grand old time out there trying to make something out of that team, uh, which, uh, you know, the jury's still out, obviously, on that team. The jury is not out on the uh, Mavericks, and the jury is not out anymore on Jerry Jones. Uh, what we understand, if reports are correct, he will be fined. Is it $2 million by Roger Goodell for uh, campaigning to, to uh, get him fired? Well, I uh, don't have the exact number, but it's believed to be a little bit over $2 million. And this would be to recoup uh, the legal costs that the other NFL teams had to chip in in order to ward off uh, his threatened lawsuits uh, when it came to Roger Goodell's extension. So... Uh, there was a. There seemed to be a lot of surprise yesterday when when this news came out. And you know, my stance is there's there should be no surprise when if you stage a palace coup and you lose, uh, you don't come out unscathed. And at least Jerry lives in a time where he's not going to be uh, imprisoned or the order off with his head will be given. I think they will just settle for their two plus million and uh, go on their way. Now, now, how Jerry responds to their request to recoup those legal funds will be interesting. What do you what how do you think he will respond? Well or quietly or loudly? I don't know that Jerry's ever been quiet about much of anything. <laughs> I think he will say some things, but I think he will pay it because I think he recognizes uh, I think he recognized all along that uh, if this if this was a failed attempt uh, that there would be some financial consequences to it i think he was willing to accept that he's always been a risk reward guy uh i think if jerry was in the same situation if if jerry was the commissioner of the league somebody came at him and then lost and then the other owners are saying hey you got to do something with this guy one you have to show support to those owners who showed you support uh when this insurrection took place and and two um you know look a, a lot of times at this corporate level I know people will say, well, just turn the other cheek, but, but I can tell you from my observations that at this level, compassion is, is usually viewed as weakness, uh, not, not a 
admirable trait. It's viewed as weakness. And so I think if Goodell and the league didn't respond uh, to, to what Jerry tried to do, well, what's to keep any other individual owner from coming at the commissioner at some other point down the road? Is, uh, there is, aren't going to be consequences. Is, is too so I, I think it goes. I think it's bigger than that. And, and look, also too, this was my understanding was you know this has been in place in, in the constitution and bylaws of the NFL since the late nineties, and this was really something that you know Al Davis. You can trace back to Al Davis because he was often an outlier, and, and, and other owners felt, well, look, uh, why should we have to pay? Uh, for what we consider to be his flights of fancy or things that are counterproductive to the unity of the league. So uh, we're not going to pay to underwrite uh, his ability to rebel. Uh, he's going to have to take on the price of the rebellion himself. So, the, And that's what Jerry's going to have to do here. So it's not, it's not really a fine because $2 million is not going to hurt Jerry Jones. That money comes out of petty cash, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, his petty cash. His yeah. petty cash, yeah. Uh, so well, th- let's be very specific. Yeah, his petty cash, but yeah, and, and this is uh, and look now, Jerry incurred other costs. This isn't counting all of Jerry's costs because he went out and he, he retained David Boyes. He's one of the most uh, high-profile and expensive lawyers uh, in the country when he was threatening a lawsuit. So Jerry spent some on his end as well, um, but but now the, the NFL is looking to recoup its legal costs. And and you know, look, that, that's the thing. I know I know some media outlets got real. Uh, it, you know, dug in and engaged in, in the semantic debate yesterday on whether it was a fine or not. To me, it doesn't matter what you call it. They're coming after his money, and uh, no one disagrees on that. Let me ask you this, David. Do you think that in any way that Jerry's power in the NFL has been diminished because of all of this? Yes, I do, uh, because I, I think power is very fluid. I think he overplayed his hand on this. Uh, he thought he had support he didn't have. Uh, and now when you take a very public flogging like this, uh, you do lose power. You lose influence. Uh, many people he considered allies in that room uh, either went quiet or went completely against him. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting here because uh, myself and, and uh, people with other outlets were told that, uh, you know, Goodell has consulted uh, the finance committee uh, on this, along with some other owners, about how to proceed in, in recouping these costs and whether or not it was something they wanted to do. And there was a very strong consensus that that is how uh, the league should proceed. Well, it's interesting to note that four members on the finance committee were also four of the six members of the uh, the uh, compensation committee that Jerry threatened to sue back in November uh, because of the structure they had with Roger Goodell's uh, extension. So, um, and, and some of those are, are one of them. Bob McNair is a guy he usually vacations with in the off season. So, you know, you see this a lot at this level of business where you have personal relationships, uh, but business supersedes any personal relationship based on the uh, specific incident. Uh, that's the case here. Yes, Jerry has lost power, but as I said, it's very fluid. And uh, the next situation, he could be the guy that uh, rallies everyone, and, and he actually regains uh, his status uh, by how he proceeds going forward. But at the moment, uh, he's clearly on the outside looking in as far as his ability to wield power. Does this mean anything for Stephen? Um, will Stephen take a step forward? Jerry take a step backwards in, in the, being the face of the franchise? Well, I think you've seen in, in subtle ways that, that Stephen has done that. Really, uh, 
I would say very strongly over the last five, six, seven years, but it's not recognized as strong because Jerry is such an overwhelming character. I mean, Jerry's a force of nature. I think Stephen is, is a very strong, assertive person. Jerry Jones is a force of nature. And so even though Stephen, I think, has is, uh, had more and more of a voice, uh, he's not as outrageous and, and unpredictable and in some ways fun and entertaining to follow as Jerry is. And so you don't notice how much he has been asserting himself. So uh, I think around the league, and, and, and you, look, you see this a lot of times with, with power dynamics too, the, uh, the front person is, is the one who gets most of the attention, but as far as what goes on behind the scenes and, and the person who does all the detail work, as far as making sure all these actions materialize, are a little more behind the scenes, and and uh, I think Stephen has been the one who's been a little more behind the scenes. I, I think he helps enact uh, Jerry's grand ideas, and and he's the one who's actually building relationships to go forward. Uh, and, but he's doing it with his father's ideas and 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 executing those. So I think he's Stephen is building relationships around the league, and and he's very well respected. Um, but again, he he's very careful to defer to his father and uh, has great appreciation for what his father has done. And while Jerry is still active and involved, uh, I can't envision a scenario where Stephen would do anything to put himself above his father. Now, that's a good segue into something I want to talk about before we get to the uh, the combine, which is coming up. Um, and that is the continuing comments by Stephen about Des Bryant, in which... Um, I know everybody thinks that well, it's just he's just trying to get leverage on negotiating by by citing the things that Des uh, has not done well and the and the things that he's been criticized outside the organization, but never from the inside. Uh, I'm I'm still sticking with the uh, the the viewpoint that Stephen is not just setting him up for a renegotiation of a renegotiation of his contract. He's setting it up for you know what. I think we're going to let you go. I think he's, uh, one, the Stephen Jones and the Cowboys do have leverage in this situation because of the way the contract is structured. Um, you know, they can go to Des Bryant and say, look, uh, we want you to take a pay cut. If he says, well, no, I'm not going to take a pay cut. I can get more on the open market, and you don't have the guts to cut me. Uh, the Cowboys can say, okay, not only do we have the guts to cut you, We'll wait till June 1 when just about every team has used their free agent money and then dump you on the market. And what kind of, what kind of contract are you going to get then? So the Cowboys do have leverage in this situation. I believe they'll use it. I don't believe they will overplay their hand. Uh, but, uh, Stephen Jones has shown a very firm hand in these through the years. And, and again, I, I, I point to this as an example too of how people don't fully appreciate, uh, the role that Stephen has taken. Uh, Going back to DeMarcus Ware and others, you know, there's always been this belief that, oh, Jerry, Jerry will never let this guy go. Jerry won't let DeMarcus Ware go. He won't do this. He won't do that. Um, yes, he will, because Stephen will say, look, Dad, this is how we need to run the business today. Uh, and this is why this makes financial sense. This is what we're going to do with the money. We don't have to pay him. We have to franchise or get a long-term contract with DeMarcus Lawrence. We have to get Zach Martin tied into an extension. In two years, we're going to have to make uh, Dak Prescott one of the highest-paid uh, highest players in the league. Uh, we can't afford 
to give Dez his full contract now because we still have these other uh, financial dominoes to play uh, before we get to Dax's contract. So, um, it, to me, it's going to come down to I, I still believe Dez Bryant uh, can be on this team in 2018, but the decision is going to be his. How much of a pay cut is he willing to take? How much will he take that personally, and will he let his ego get in the way uh, to say, I'm not, you know, this is such an insult to me, I don't care how they structure it, what they're doing, or the fact that I want to be here, this is insulting, let me go, I want to go where I'm going to be appreciated, and that's, to me, that's the emotional wild card the Cowboys are playing with here. But wasn't, wasn't Dez on the radio the other day, or last Friday, uh, and saying he wants to be a Cowboy for life, and nothing matters as, as long as he's a cowboy? Well, he said a lot of things in that, in that interview. And uh, he also said before that he didn't really, uh, he didn't necessarily believe he should be asked to take a pay cut, that his play and his performance uh, was not as bad as other people made it out to be, although he acknowledged he let other factors outside of the game impact his performance last season. Um, like I said, it's, it's very difficult to get a read on exactly where uh, Des Bryant is because uh, emotionally he's all over the board in a span of, of 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, he, he gives you mixed signals on that because I think a lot of times he, he's, he himself is working through things. He says he wants to be a cowboy for life. He can't envision himself in any other right. uh, uniform. But that's because he believes the Cowboys have the utmost respect and appreciation for what he's done and who he is as a player, and that's never going to change. I don't know that Dez really uh, looks at things from a business standpoint and says, okay, this is why uh, the Cowboys are going to want to lower my cap hit by taking $4 million off here, but how can, I, how can I structure this to get this back through incentives? He was just going to take that as, after all I've done for you, after all you told me how important I am to you, uh, why would you do this to me? You betrayed me. So that's, to me, that's the emotional minefield that, that they walk with, with Daz Bryant. And, and I don't know that anyone can be confident that he will strictly look at this as a business decision and not take it so personally to the point uh, that it will let him, uh, that it will cloud his ability to, to make a sound decision. Yeah, and I, to me, it's it's not just the decision that he's going to make now, and it's not the the attitude he has now. Uh, if you if you if he takes this pay cut and comes back, and things don't go well, and uh, and the, he has another year like this one, where you know where he he's not really uh, meshing with Dak Prescott. We've never seen any kind of chemistry between the two of them on the field, and. Uh, if that all goes south again and he's, and he's not making the money he was making before, uh, all the things that Stephen has cited, all the things that he said that were the, were the criticisms that, that everyone else has had about, uh, about Dez, about how he's a distraction on the field, he's a, a distraction to his teammates at times, you know, and, and then the, the things that the stats say, that he, he, you know, uh, he has so many drops last year and he's he just not as reliable as he used to be and not as productive as he used to be. Those things all still come to bear. So I, 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 I just think it's, for, for me, uh, I, I think his, his numbers are pretty easy to replace. And uh, I, I don't, you know, I know at one time he was a great receiver, and I have all the respect in the world for Woody. 
brought to the organization, and, and but the organization has also been very good to him. Uh, it's been a you know it's been a mutual thing, and but I just don't see going forward if you if you're going to make you know smart business decisions, the fact that you could free up twelve and a half million dollars in cap space by letting this guy go. Uh, I I just think that that uh, after June first, I just think that that's uh, the way to go. Well, and this is what the Cowboys wrestle with as well. All of what you said that okay, uh, let's say he does agree to take a pay cut, uh, but but how then how focused? He, you know, look, last year he was talking about how he was unfocused and let things bother him. Uh, if things start to go south and and he's challenged in any way this year, uh, the fact that he take a pay cut on top of that and it's still not working out to the level that he expects, uh, then how is that going to look? Um, and, you know, and, and how does that impact us going forward? Uh, but another thing you said, too, is, and, and, you know, look, okay, we give him a pay cut and we bring a, uh, a free agent or a first-round receiver in here. How is he going to take that? Is he going to take that as a challenge he responds to? Or is he going to take that as, oh, they're picking at me, they're undercutting me, why don't they appreciate me? Uh, so all of these things are, you take to factor in, but, but I will bring this up, and I think this is one thing they wrestle with greatly. Uh, for all we have said about Dennis Bryan here, tell me a receiver on their roster who had a better year last year. No, it's a pretty, pretty uh, rank uh, competition, yeah. Not much going on there. As much as the decline has been, uh, he is still their best receiver. So now you step back and you go, okay, Maybe we can replace his numbers, but does that get us to where we want to be? Or are we better with him in adding to this receiver core, or are we better subtracting him from it and then having to not only replace him, but but get another upgrade or two? So I, I think you have to look at the addition by subtraction thing, too, and go, you know what, if we take him out of the equation, even with all these things we have questions about, are we really hurting our offense to the point to where we won't be able to make that up in one year's time? How, how do you think? And uh, I, I think that's the leverage that Des Bryant has in these negotiations. How, how do you think Des is going to feel when the Cowboys sign Dak to a gazillion-dollar multi-year contract while they're cutting his salary and his uh, involvement in the team? You know, well, at that at that point, I believe Des will be gone because yeah. I think that's two years away. Right. Okay. Um, to me, I, I don't think. Uh, the, to me, the question with Des is this year. Uh, I, I think it's a, a very strong debate for this year, and, and I know I, I've heard this uh, scenario of well, you can sign him to an extension and lessen it, and and it's really not any more money. I, I don't know that that's a signal they want to send, or that's what they want to do either. Uh, and, and I don't know that either side would would really find that equitable. Um, it, there was a reason they did not touch his contract last year when they needed money because they knew they could get to this stage this season and have some options and they didn't want to kick this decision on him down the road another year now you've had three years where he's been less than a 1,000 yard receiver and yes I understand the the, the injuries and, and the toll that is taken uh, is not strictly performance a, a lot of that is, is tied to injuries but still, you have three straight years of a guy who's 29 who has not had more than 1,000 yards. What are the odds that he goes back to being that player he was at his peak? It's just not there. So he has to adjust his sights. Uh, I think the Cowboys realistically have adjusted their sights on what he, uh, where he is and what he's 
worth. Uh, and it's just whether or not Bez will determine and actually accept this is what he's worth in today's business climate. But, but in two of those three years, the quarterback was Dak Prescott. And is, is there any reason to believe anything will change so long as Dak is the quarterback? Well, Dez is Dak that. is going to be the quarterback. Right. Yeah, and that, and that's, that's not healthy for uh, Dez Bryant or anyone else either to go to try to compare, oh, well, look at his numbers with Tony, look at his numbers with Dak. Um, look, Dak is a – and we've talked about it, and, and you know, I, I think Tony was able to let some, th- let some things – uh, roll off his shoulders and, and still get the ball uh, to Dez in situations where he could excel. I, I think Dak Prescott, as we've talked about before, is much more, you know what, I'm going through my reads. If you're the first option and you're open, I'm throwing it to you. If you're not open, I'm going straight to my second option, then to my third. I, I think Tony was willing to hang on and wait and, and throw contested balls to Dez Bryant but, but here's the other thing, and, and people always keep pointing to, well, you know, you know, Tony would go to him. Well, Tony went to him because he was making contested plays on the ball. Uh, he In these jump balls with cornerbacks or safeties, he was winning the majority uh, of those battles. He's not winning those anymore. I, I, think, I think Dak threw him a lot of contested balls last year, and the percentage that Des Bryant comes down with is less now than it was in his prime, and, and I think that is... That has perhaps been his greatest skill set or, or trait as a receiver, and I think they're seeing a decline there. So I, I question a little bit wanting to put all of that on Dak. Uh, but um, you're right, I, and I think, I think Dak tried to force it to Daz too much last year because things weren't working. Now, I think it was easier for him to force it because Cole Beasley wasn't getting open either, and uh, Jason Witten didn't have as good a year as he's had before, and and, and Ter- Terrence Williams just kind of disappeared from the scene for stretches. So um, I think that Dak didn't have a lot of options last year. They didn't have a good chemistry. Uh, they were forcing some plays, and, and Dez isn't the player he was, and Dak is not as good of a quarterback in that situation as Tony Romo was. Yeah, I think we could describe last year's offense was, okay, first quarter we try to force the ball to Dez. Uh, and then second quarter uh, we decided that's not going to work, and now we're going to run the ball. Um, that was that was pretty much how the offense looked at times last year. Um, it, it, it's a pretty see through, it's a see through offense, and they and they have made that apparent that uh, we're going to just do what we do, and you try to stop us. Uh, which you know, I, I think there's a certain credibility to that type of approach. I'm not sure it works that well in the NFL. It, it works in college football. Uh, I don't think you can always do it there. David, let's move on now. I want, to, I want us to go to the combine because that's coming up. Um, You're playing traffic cop today. I am I playing like traffic that. cop. Yeah, this, this week uh, we got the combine coming up, the NFL combine. And uh, that's always a lot of fun, the Underwear Olympics. They, they trot out all these prospects, and, uh, and some, of them, uh, uh, some of the players do so well that they jump way up like a certain Byron Jones did when, sure. he, when he set a, a world record. Uh, I believe it was in the long. Was it in the long jump? Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So, uh, and now well, a combine record. Yeah, a combine. Wasn't an Olympic record. I, I think somebody told me. I thought I read somewhere that it was an actual world record, but but not. Uh, but not uh, recognized. But not recognized. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you don't have experts out there uh, with their tape measures. <laughs> um. So anyway, Dave, what should we expect from the combine and from the Cowboys? Good question. Well. Um, you know, they will, 
uh, as far as public exposure, I believe Jason Garrett will speak to the media for the first time since the season has ended on Wednesday. Um, Jerry will conduct his normal session on his bus at some point. Oh, the bus. Uh, over the, yeah, over the next few days. Uh, always a highlight. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the players, uh, they will, you know, take all the highs away and they will interview uh, as many players as they can there and also set up other interviews to go to their uh, work college workouts and then schedule visits. Uh, you know, they get anywhere from like four to six minutes with them in a room. Uh, it's really just a, a cursory introductory sort of thing. Uh, they may be able to set up a, a brief other time to, to touch base with the, with the player or their agent while they're there. Um, but it's just it's putting everyone through, um, you know, all the position coaches break up and, and, and watch all the drills by position. Uh, Garrett will sit in on as many interviews as he can. Uh, the coordinators and uh, position coaches, all the guys are looking at specific offense or defense. They'll go through all that, and then they get in a room at the end of each night, uh, compare notes, put it all together, and then do it again the next day. So it, it's just basically nonstop uh, discussions and and interviews and, and the cursory steps of the initial steps of trying to figure out uh, would this guy be a good fit with us uh, with his personality and his approach uh, in addition to what he offers physically. Dave, do you think any of the new assistants uh, might change the way the Cowboys look at the prospects out there, or is it just basically the coordinators running the show? Well, they should. Now I, now, I will say I don't think any of the coordinators signed off on a guy who's going to come in and, and be a daily battle with them and disagree with how they view players. So I, I think philosophically uh, they have to feel there, there's some common ground there to go forward. But, uh, you know, look, there, there, are ten, there are ten new – there are eight new hires and two promotions. So there are ten people on this staff who are in different positions uh, than who was in place at the combine last year. Uh, that's a pretty extreme makeover, and and their impact and what they noticed and, and what they bring to the table uh, is going to be different than what that group did previously. Uh, that it that is a good thing as long as there's not uh, a warring of philosophies and and, and what the approach should be. And like I said, I don't think any of these guys would have brought, been brought in if that was the case. So. I, I think a set of fresh eyes and, and uh, look at the, looking at these things and and just just maybe some of these guys will have the same message but they will communicate it differently and it will resonate in a way uh, that didn't before. I will also say that I, I think you notice in, in any organization when you bring new people in, by and large, they tend to have more of a voice early than they maybe do two, three, four years down the road. Uh, because you want to uh, reinforce the fact it was a good hire. You want to listen to what they have to say because you brought them in. And so maybe a lot of times you're more receptive to hearing what they have to say uh, in these early stages uh, than you will be two, three years down the road. So I, I think this is brought in to, uh, one, kind of fresh ideas to, to, to you know, pique the interest of the, the coordinators and, and uh, bring a little bit of juice to that room. Uh, that wasn't there before, that had maybe become a little too comfortable. and But two, I think the overriding thing was just to send a very clear message to uh, Jason Garrett that, look, we've changed out everybody on the staff except you and the coordinators. 
uh, if this doesn't work again, you're next. Now, David, I was intrigued by the hiring of uh, Chris Richard, uh, formerly with the Seahawks, to come in as the uh, the secondary. Uh, well, tell me what exactly his title is with the Cowboys. Well, he'll be the secondary coach and also the passing game coordinator. Yeah. So now that was Matt Eberflus last year, who was yeah. over linebackers. Uh, but but Eberflus, while he was over the linebackers position group, he coordinated the back seven as far as coverages are concerned. Uh, that is what Chris Richard is going to do as well. He's going to uh, work with Rod Marinelli to say, okay, this is the coverage scheme. If you're going to do this up front on this play, this is what we're going to do with the coverage scheme. And it's, um, you know, I thought Eberflus was very effective with that in his role. Um, and uh, he worked very well um, with Rod Marinelli on that. Uh, you know, they certainly anticipate Richard will be able to do the same. And, and look, here's another example. This was uh, this was a guy who 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 presided over the Legion of Doom in Seattle when that defense was at boom. its best. Legion of Boom. And yeah, and, and now um, you know they've struggled a bit. Uh, they have to make some changes on their staff to show that oh, okay, we get it. We have to change. And now he's gone. So uh, I, I think I think his his departure is certainly. Uh, the Cowboys benefit because I think he's one of the more respected guys in the league and, and has a pedigree on this. And so I, I consider that uh, their most significant offseason hiring. And what what would the most significant offseason exit be? No, 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 wait. no, no, wait a minute. I, we're still no. talking about Chris Richard. Wait a second. Wait, no, no, second. no, no, one second, no, one second. We are not moving on to the next guy. I, I turned off his microphone. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> well, before we, before we just hodgepodge off of this, I want to oh, get the the, we, you're, you're the, the point like about Chris Richard is that I do think this was a very good hire, and I'm a little surprised uh, that he was willing to come in and take this position. And I'm wondering if. You know, of, of course, I'm sure Matt Eberflus thought he he might be the heir apparent to Rod Marinelli, who yeah. who, who never wants to quit uh, and and may never quit. Um, but uh, do you think that that uh, it's obviously very early on that the Cowboys see him as the heir apparent as a defensive coordinator? Uh, very early, but I think if that that didn't have the potential of happening, I don't know if he would have come here. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. You know. Rod Marinelli is going to leave at some point. You look at the structure of his contract, which, depending on how you look at it, I mean, uh, a year or two left here. So that's uh, Chris Richard's been a defensive coordinator in this league. Uh, certainly he will want to be one again. Um, you know, Eberflus, and, and again, I, you know, I thought Eberflus would have worked in that role. And, and look, I, I think there was some conversation this year that um, to, because – the Cowboys like to do things in a way that they've done before. And if you go back and you remember uh, how Rod Marinelli was in place and uh, Monty Kiffin was, okay, well, let's just make you a, a defensive coordinator emeritus, right. uh, call you a consultant, but really give uh, the day-to-day duties to Rod Marinelli. I think that ownership was willing and hopeful that they could structure the same sort of thing this year to keep Marinelli on board and have Eberflus give him more control going forward. But I believe Matt Eberflus was uncomfortable uh, with that situation, Uh, didn't really like or appreciate what that did to Kiffin and the role that put him in, and had such respect for Marinelli that, that he wouldn't do that. 
Um, it, you know, it, it sounded good in theory, I think, when they did it with Kiffin and Marinelli, and, and I think all concerned uh, agree it didn't work out as smoothly as they would have liked. I think it did from an ownership standpoint. I don't think it did from a staff uh, interaction standpoint. So I, I think Eberflus was here for that. Rod was here for that. Uh, they didn't really like how that unfolded. They didn't really see that as a productive way going forward. And when Rod makes it very clear he wants to come back, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, Matt said, look, I, you know, I've been in this role for a long time. I, I have a chance to be a defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm going to do it. And, and here's the other thing. The Cowboys didn't have to let him out of his contract in order to do it. You know, so he was, uh, you know, he had that. And so uh, they left on good terms. Uh, he was just in that role for so long. If you can't say this is going to happen now, uh, you lose some quality guys. And, and I think that's what happened with Eberflus. I think, too, the difference was that uh, you're getting results under Rod Marinelli. You were not getting results under Monty Kiffin. Um, sure, and, sure. And so I think that, that makes a big difference. I, I don't have any problem with Rod staying on. I just think that uh, that uh, it, it's interesting that, that Chris Richard has taken this position. I think that was a good hire. Uh, to, to what, job, what job did he have before this? He had no job. Look, he was unemployed. He was unemployed, but okay. still, he was so. unemployed for about two weeks. Yeah, yeah but, mean, but 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 he he did get let go in in Seattle, correct? Yes, he did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying he's you know Tom Landry as a defensive coordinator or or I'm not. I guess Tom wasn't a. I guess Tom was on uh, with the Ernie Giants. Stautner, right? No, when, oh, when he was with the Giants. The Giants? Yeah. I can't remember. Or maybe, maybe, yeah, Lombardi was the, the offensive, offensive coach, right. and he was the defensive Offensive, coach. and he was defensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so, so let's let, let's talk about some of these players that they might be seeing at the Combine. Uh, so who do we think uh, – do, do you have any – give us a give us uh, two or three names you think that will be worth watching at the Combine. Well, um, for, for where they are, um, you know, you have uh, – What's this? The, the the guy from uh, Washington State to tackle by the way, yeah, he he's going to be there uh, or potential to be there. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of talk about uh, Calvin Ridley in Alabama. Is he a guy that's going to be there when they pick? And, and is he a guy they would consider? Um, you know, I think you also have the uh, I can't think of his name right now, but it's a linebacker out of uh, uh, Boise State, uh, like. Vandenberg or whatever, I think a lot of Vanderesh. a lot of teams, Vanderesh. Yeah, Vanderesh, a lot of guys are really high on him. Uh, the Cowboys clearly have uh, a history and a, uh, a good feel uh, for defensive players from Boise State. They've taken a lot through the years, so yes, there's a have. comfort level there. Um, so I, I think he's another guy to look at. Um, to, to me, it's going to be interesting because Dallas is at 19, and, and for the last four years, uh, one other thing, I, you know, I, I think there's a potential for the best or the best or the second best guard in the draft to still be there at 19. Yes, we'll and surprised. I wouldn't dismiss yeah. that either because yeah. when you look back, I, I think uh, Jonathan Cooper probably graded out uh, much lower than they would like at that position. And if they feel that we can get a young guard in there, a cost-effective option to plug in, uh, we can keep his you know, outstanding offensive line in place even a little longer. So I wouldn't dismiss that either. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think right now when you're sitting there looking at it, not you're looking at a defensive tackle, uh, you're looking at a potential uh, guard, you're looking at a receiver if Ridley's there and, and you like him and you have him at the top of your board. And uh, linebackers, I think there's going to be some talented linebackers there based so- on how this all 
and, and, and potentially a safety. Uh, but, but, but so, but Dave, Dave, I, Dave, Dave, David, yeah. what position should we rule out? Very, very, very. <laughs> what, what position should we rule out? None, right? Quarterback. Quarterback or running back. Tight end. Running back. Tackle. You, running back. If, if the best tight end in the country was available, you would pass? I think the best tight end in the country is probably pass. Mark Andrews. Right, at, yeah. at Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Would you pass? I believe they would pass, yes. I think they would pass because they feel like, first of all, we don't have a primary need there right now, and secondly, there's a lot of tight ends in this draft. It's considered a, a deep draft for tight end. But I will say it's this. A, to me, that's the fact. It's a deep draft at tight ends and, and that you can get a guy in the second through fourth rounds, probably in their case the third or fourth round. Uh, that they feel is is very good. So I think I, I would be very, very surprised if they took a tight end at 19. You know, I read something very interesting the other day. Well, uh, first of all, a comment about that on the guards. That, that in one mock draft, uh, I saw that uh, they had Isaiah Wynn, uh, the Georgia right. guard, going to the Cowboys. Yep. And the comparison, I love this, the comparison to an NFL, they, uh, on the NFL.com, they do a comparison to a current player in the NFL, and the and the comparison was Ron Leary. <laughs> which I thought was really funny because <laughs> I think they, they kind of, yeah, they missed him last year. Um, was uh, something that Marcus Spears said when he was talking about uh, Deron Payne, he was talking to uh, the Alabama uh, defensive lineman who supposedly mm-hmm. would be available at 19. And one of the things that he said, he said, you know, people will complain and say, well, his numbers aren't that great there. You know, his, his production level wasn't that great. And, and and the comparison that Marcus Spears made was he said, you look at a guy like Vita Vea at, at Washington, huge, you know, run stopper, very powerful at the attack. You know, it will probably be a, a very productive NFL player. He said, but you know what? He's playing in the Pac-12. He's playing at Washington. Uh, Deron Payne is playing against offensive linemen who are going to be drafted in the NFL. Uh, he's, in the, he's playing against guys right now who he'll be playing against at the next level. And and one of the things he talked about was what a super freak athlete he was. I could really see the Cowboys being interested in a in a talent like Deron Payne because of his ability to play you know multiple positions in the defensive line and the fact that he is such a good athlete. You know, to me that that's Invita uh, Bay is not really that type. He's a big, he's built like a fire hydrant. You know, he's just a huge guy. Um, yeah, he's more your classic run stopper. You know, yes, yes, and and that and I I just seem it seems to me that the Cowboys, as much as they love that you know, uh, f- you know, multiple position flex, you know that 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 might be a guy if they if they do go defense, defensive line, and, and this and this yeah, and, and this is the thing to consider on this too. We're we're talking about defensive tackles and the one technique and, and the one technique, which is more the run stopping. Really, the only guy in the defensive front four who isn't unleashed on the quarterback like the other three spots, uh, has more run responsibility than any of them, that has the lowest value in Rod Marinelli's system. Right. And he's argued against those guys in the past, which is why you see them take these guys in the sixth and seventh round to see if they can plug them in there. Uh, because in, in Marinelli's scheme, he's looking for like a, an outstanding three technique, uh, which is that uh, pass-rushing uh, defensive tackle on the interior and at least one outside guy, and, and obviously you would prefer to have two. Uh, you know, David Irving and Malik Collins, uh, they feel very good about both of those guys at the three technique and the pressure they get. So when they get in there and they have these discussions and, and several players are lined up on the board, I don't think you're going to hear Marinelli strongly argue for a one-technique 
a strictly a one-technique defensive tackle with the first pick because he's going to say, look, I, I can get your guy in later in the draft, and this defense can still operate it at a level that we need it to operate. Now, some people would question that and say, well, look, if you have uh, a dominant one technique, isn't, aren't all these other guys in the line going to be better? And I, I think you can make a strong argument for that. But the responsibilities and the positions that Marinelli puts the one technique in in his defense, uh, you're not going to see a lot of, of benefit as far as pass, uh, as far as, far as sacks, uh, quarterback hurries. But if he anchors the line and allows those other guys more quarterback hurries, isn't it worth it? So that's, yeah. that's going to be the big debate they have there. But, but I will say in the past, since Marinelli has been here, uh, that position has been undervalued, and, and you know they have their blue chip positions on defense, and it's obviously a cornerback, uh, it's obviously a linebacker, it's a pass rushing uh, defensive end, and I think it's a three technique, and, and you order it that way, and uh, you know safeties and that one technique tackle uh, are, are usually toward the bottom of the defensive wish list. David, why don't we ever talk about a two-technique defensive tackle? <laughs> Give a little yeah, on you that get thing. From one to three. <laughs> it goes from one to three. Uh, well, where's the two? Oh, where's you the even two? have a two. Yeah. Is or it, the two outside uh, guys, or they both just like co fours? I, 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 I don't know. I think it's a little odd that we talk uh-huh, about one-three uh-huh, techniques uh-huh. and not twos. Very good. That, that's, he set up that whole thing just so he could get that uh, one. Numerically, one. just for numeric humor. Yeah. 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 Well, how about, how about that? Well, no, I think it's very. Here's another thing. Here's another thing to throw out there, real quick. Uh, you know, the, the Cowboys have actually stayed put in the first round the last four years, which is, I believe, unprecedented during the Jerry Jones reign. Is there any way they stay put at 19 with the draft in Dallas? Right. Yeah, you're right. That's a great point. But 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 to get to get excitement, they would have to move up. If they move down, it's like uh, oh, exactly. of course, of course, moving he, up. Of moving course down. he would want to move up. Yeah, I, I think you know, and, and now that they feel like they can because of the compensatory picks they got. I guess they picked up was it four, David, that they picked up in all? Four. They got yeah, they got a fourth rounder, two fifth rounders, and a sixth rounder. So I think that's going to embolden them again. When I say move up, I'm not talking about jumping up to like Bo Claiborne range like they did you no, know six that years that ago. Well. Yeah. But I think if you're moving from 19, you know, I think there's going to be some really outstanding players that go in that 12 to 15 range. Right. That if, if they have fixated and they're convinced that they love one of those guys, I think they, I think they would be very receptive this year to go, you know what? We pick up four compensatory picks. Uh, we really feel we addressed our secondary last year. We really like it. We can get by without a number two pick. Let's give up our second round pick. And move up these five spots to get this, you know, Georgia linebacker we love, or, or whatever, whatever the player it is that they that they think would be best. Yeah, I could really see. I could see that. I could see them. Well, and, and first of all, I would have, if Calvin Ridley was still available uh, in that range, I could see that. I could see, uh, uh, you know. The, well, let me ask you: if, if Calvin Ridley is available and they take Calvin Ridley, what does that mean for Dez? Gone. Going back to well, it. I, I think it goes back to the same argument that David was making before that, okay, now we've got a guy who, who, who could be a number one for us. Maybe not right away, but it could be. And, uh, and, and now we're adding two with, with Des. I, th- I still think they could make that argument with themselves. My, my, my point has been. That makes been, Des less. Oh, that, my, my, my point it has been and it will be is that what makes you think that Des is going to be able to lock all this away and say, okay, good. I'm, going, I'm moving forward. Forgetting all the past, okay. You got a you got a guy you got in the first round. 
uh, big deal. Uh, I'm going to work with him. It'll be great. I mean, I think you can say all that uh, and, and convince yourself of that, I guess. But uh, I, I just don't think that's the way it's going to play out. And, well, and, and you know, and to me, and that, and that's the key point. And, and it's interesting because I, I was talking the other day at the uh, last week where the the Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year Award, the inaugural ceremony, uh, was out there and was talking to Stephen Jones a little bit, and, and uh, was asking him. I said, "Look, just like you know, you reached a stage where uh, you were looking for Tony Romo's uh, replacement in the right. draft. Uh, don't you have to be at that stage with with Jason Witten?" Uh, understanding that whoever you take this year, may, you know, is not going to take necessarily take a lot of time away from him, but you have to prepare for a future without him sooner rather than later. And uh, he just started laughing. He said, "I can't believe you asked that question." He said, "Do you really think that's going to happen?" He said, "Every time we have taken a tight end in the second round, Jason Witten is the first player in my office, and he says, "Boy, you wasted your pick on that one." <laughs> but sure, and, but, but that's fun. That's great. But, 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 but look, to me, that, that's the thing. Jason Witten takes that as a challenge to go, you know what? Bring it on because I'm still going to show you how good I am. I think Des Bryant would take that as, I think he would be hurt by it. Yeah, I think he I think would so go, too. oh, what's going on here? And I brought that up to show the difference, I think, in, in approach and tena- mental tenacity between Des Bryant and, and Jason Witten and how they handle the situation because I, I agree with what Kevin's saying that the, the the that is the thorniest problem that the Cowboys have I, from a talent perspective. I think all arguments point to the fact they still need Des Bryant on this team and they need to put better talent with him rather than subtract him from an equation uh, that showed uh, a serious decline across the receiving board, but temperamentally, will they be able to do that? Now, you brought up the the Georgia linebacker, Roquan Smith. Uh, let's say he were still available at from 12 to 15. I don't think he's going to be. He's the best linebacker. Yeah, that may be a little stretch for him to get there. Yeah, uh, he's, the, he's the best linebacker in this draft. But let's say he is available. I think then uh, – I think they've already pretty much talked themselves into believing they're not going to re- re-sign Anthony Hitchens – um, this would make that a lot more palatable to let him go if they were able to draft a guy like Roquan Smith. Oh, yeah, and, and I think that's, again, um, and, you know, Stephen Jones talked about that last week. They want uh, Anthony Hitchens to be in a Cowboys uniform, but they wanted Barry Church to be in a Cowboys uniform last year. I, I just, I, To me, the, the similarities between Hitchens and Church once they hit the open market, are going to be pretty similar because I think that they have strong value in the room. They're appreciated uh, a lot of times for the qualities that go beyond just their physical skills. But, um, you know, when you look at what they're going to have to pay Lawrence, what they're going to have to pay Martin, uh, how they're already up against it and they're going to have to create cap room for their rookie class, uh, how they, you know, they're going to have to create some more room here if they want to sign a uh, a quality free agent or two that will help them out. Uh, I find it very difficult to believe that, that Anthony Hitchens won't get lost in the financial shuffle. And, uh, you know, Stephen Jones said it. We want to keep him. In fact, he mentioned him in the same breath as Demarcus Lawrence and Zach Martin as players. He mentioned all three of them together on two occasions as players. He wants all of them to be with the Cowboys. Uh, but then he also said that, but look, we also know that. Um, Anthony Hitchens isn't at the Pro Bowl level that those other two guys are. 
Yeah. And this is a puzzle we have to piece together. So I think that was uh, as strong of an endorsement of Anthony Hitchens as they could make while also acknowledging that, well, look, we can only pay him a certain amount. Yeah. Do you, David, do you believe uh, that with the, the free agents they could possibly attract um, and sign, and I think they do need to make a couple of signings, uh, to me it, it seems imperative at safety to bring in a, a veteran for that young group of, uh, of guys in the secondary? You know, I think they need to decide what they're going to do with uh, Byron Jones. Um, you know, Stephen Jones last week said that they've discussed it, but they haven't settled on him going back to cornerback, but it's certainly part of the discussion. Um, you know, the, the thing is, well, look what Barry Church got on the open market last year when he yeah. left. Right. Five years for $35 million. It's going to take something like that. I mean, you're going to want a player at least that level and that experience, and so that's what he's going to cost. And Can they afford to do that, or do they say, you know what, we saw enough out of uh, Chittabay Awuzia that we can move him there, or we can take one of these young safeties in the first or second round that we like, and while he is young, um, maybe this just means we do keep Byron Jones back there and, and Jeff Heath because they have an understanding of the position and we go from there. And, uh, and they like Xavier Woods, too. So, but, but, look, none of those guys are a, a first-round uh, uh, safety who, who can make an, an impact like a, a player in that position potentially could. Can we all agree that no matter who they take, it has to, that player has to make an impact? They can't take some player who they're going to... First round pick, yes, it better make an impact. Yeah, who who they're going to nurse along? He better be a walk in starter. Yeah, he's got to be a, and an impactful starter as well. Yeah, you know, just not hand him a position because he was a first round. Yeah, absolutely. Pick. That's that's how you determine. You know, really, I think out of any draft, uh, obviously depending on how good your team is. You know, if you're uh, if you're the Patriots, you don't have as many openings as right. you do on other clubs. But you better be getting at least one starter out of every draft. You better get may, maybe even uh, two. And, and eventually, you, you need to have three. And they all need to be players, sure. not just guys who are just hanging around on the roster. We're not guys filling teams. in because you have nobody else to play. Yeah, now. absolutely. David, we, we've, we've had so much we've talked about, and we didn't cover it all, uh, but we got to go. And we, we, we hate to let you go, but uh, we know that you've got other things to do, too. David, we, we want to renegotiate with you. We don't. No longer can we pay you by the minute you're on. You just have to take a lump sum, and th- that way we won't have to double my fee. That 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 yeah. way we won't have to get rid of you so quickly. Yeah, we're gonna that lump sum. We're gonna come and dump that lump sum on your driveway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had a lot dumped on my driveway through the years. Yes. It's be comparable. Yes, you have. So, uh, well, the good thing is we have a. Either good or the bad thing is we still have a long off season to address. All D- David, before you guys, want to congratulate yeah. the Shriner. Mountaineers is that what is that what their nickname is? Yes. Why why is this team in the hill country the Mountaineers? There are mountains there. They they won the they won the men's called the hill country. They won the Mountaineers though. They won the SCAC men's basketball uh, championship this year, and uh, the Trinity uh, Tigers won the women's. I just want to throw that in. But why does David care about the Shriner? David's daughter is a, a Shriner alum. Oh no! I did not know you should, that. You should know yes. the people. You should. I you should. Know, you know should know them. the people we have on well, as guests and right. your coworkers. You're right. I didn't. I. I, I was. I, I, did she start out at Shriner? Yes. Really? 
Yes, she went there, and then she went to grad school at Tulane. Well, see, now I'm thinking of Tulane all along. No, no, no. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Okay, all right. Uh, You're anti-SCAC. Uh... No, I had a son <laughs> who played in the SCAC. Well, he played football and golf, and he even ran in a. But they weren't in the uh, cross. Were they in the, the SCAC, SCAC still? Yes, then? they were okay. when he did. Yeah. Okay, at Millsaps. So anyway, David, congratulations on the. Mountaineers, <laughs> the, at school in Texas <laughs> called the Mountaineers. Well, they, they, they call it they call <laughs> the Davis Mountains out there in West Texas. Those aren't really mountains. But, 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 Davis Mountains are a little bit more heft to them. Yeah. Yeah. But but any, anyway, yeah, so I, my I, daughter I, will come over Friday and we will celebrate. I, I, I was watching the championship <laughs> game and the they were playing Colorado College and I, I thought for sure Colorado College would be the Mountaineers. They're uh, out there in. Uh, I think, I, think no sense. I think they're the miners, aren't they? No, something? no, Colorado College is the Tigers also. Is it the Tigers? Yeah, okay. I watched it. Yeah, There's Tigers. a lot of Tigers oh, yeah. going around. Just thinking of Colorado, yeah, Colorado College of Mines. That's what I'm thinking of. That would yeah. be the miners. That's right. That would be nice. David, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. And there he goes, David Moore. Uh, I don't think David's actually going to the combine. No, he's not. David is taking. I, I didn't want to bring that up. I thought it might be a sore subject. With no, him. I don't think it's a sore subject. Uh, you, do you want to spend no. a week in Indianapolis? No, no. Uh, Have you ever tried to watch the the combine? I try to watch it on TV. Oh and it's, my it's, gosh! It's, but you know what? It's Here's the But my kids love watching it. Do they really? Of course, my kids also loved watching. All the Winter Olympics, too. Uh, I like watching the Winter Olympics, but I, I tell you, I can't. You know, one of the things that distracts me about that with kids, though, too, is that, you know, my youngest son in particular, he's wanting to see what kind of shoes they're wearing. You know, he cares about this stuff. He can tell you about guys' shoes, and both of them, when they were playing football, could tell you about the helmets guys were wearing. You know, oh, he's got a shut helmet, or he's got this helmet, or he's got that helmet. And it's like, why do you guys care about that well, kind of I stuff? I just want to back up. You could watch curling for four hours. Well, no, I didn't have to watch curling for four hours. They well, never put that on. They just had that on in the afternoon, mostly. They had that on, but when when the U.S. won the gold medal, it was like oh, the men, I, the U.S. men won the ridiculous. gold medal. I, I, the one thing I regret about the, the Olympics this year is I did not stay up to watch the women win the gold medal in, in hockey. Oh, that that was that was a great moment. You know what I thought? Because the they were losing when I turned it off. Uh, it was on the cross country skiing when we won the gold medal. Did you hear? Who? who first of all, the who? Team who was medal? the color analyst on that? He went crazy. Oh my gosh! I've never heard anybody on a Homer call get bigger than that. But it was a pretty spectacular it w- ending. <laughs> it was the was it the first medal ever? Well, no, it was the first women's medal ever. Yeah, it, first for, for you for the U.S. for the U.S. Yeah, there, there had I mean. been a men's uh, medal, but it was like. 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, I will say that this. It seems like yesterday, by the way. Yeah, right. I will say this. I am a sucker for that kind of stuff. I'm a sucker in the Olympics for the, the for the emotions. And, and and after that race, it was so great. The two women in in that uh, in that cross-country race. Oh, it was unbelievable. And the, then the older woman was, this is her last race. She's never going to do it the again. Older, she's like 32. Well, she's yeah. And, and and it was so it was so cute, the, the younger a partner says, and this is the last, and this is the last time we're going to race together. Did she put her her hand up in front of her face, and she said, "I'm sorry," and, you know, because she was starting to cry. And this is it's it's so great to see these raw emotions from these people. And think it's like even you know my kids when we talk about it, so these people have put you know not just four years into this, they've put eight, they and put 16, a lifetime, they, they put, put a their lifetime. lifetime into this, and this is their moment. And that's this the great thing about the Winter Olympics. Oh, we we don't know what you know if it's a great performance or not. Well, not in the Winter Olympics, but tr- you know, some somebody had a great point. They said they should try take an ordinary person out to do every event, yeah. and and see how. And you could see just how hard it hard it would be. Yeah, you imagine. I was thinking about the, with the guys on the on the bobsled, you know, and yeah. they and they were and, and the announcers were saying, you know, he's got 
probably the top five pushers in the in in the Olympics. So it's all on the driver, right? Right. But you're you're hurling down this track in this thing that looks like it came out of the thirties. You got to jump in it. Oh my gosh, unbelievable! So who do we got coming up? Well, I'll tell you who we got coming up. Uh, we've got Eddie Sefco coming up. We got a little stuff going on with the Mavericks these days. I Have thought, you noticed I that? I thought you wrote one of your best columns in a while. Wow. Well, that's a compliment. A that's a compliment. Kind of. It? <laughs> it's kind of a compliment. It's also it could be a, a commentary on the previous columns I've no, written. No, I, I didn't mean it as such. I, th- I thought it was a really terrific well, column. Well, I appreciate that. Morning Very nice. On, uh, on, on Cynthia Marshall, the new CEO. What's her name? Sin? Cynthia. Sint. 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 As, as she put it, as in heaven sent. It was a great press conference yesterday. I tell you what, I'm usually not too impressed with those things, uh, but that was a really good one. All right, let's get to, let's get to Eddie, and then of course we'll have Evan Grant. Who? Dro- you know, Evan Grant from Surprise, and he'll drone on. See <laughs> yes, will. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.